After spending four years in prison for the abduction, rape, and murder of a four-year-old child, Melvin Reynolds walked out a free man. Outrageous! Just four years for a crime as heinous as child abduction, rape, and murder? You might be thinking. Well, curious listener, the problem here is not that he was let out, but that he was ever imprisoned in the first place because Melvin Reynolds was an innocent man. Hi, Curious Listener. Welcome to Corn Fed Killer. I'm your host, Michelle O'Dell. Today, I have a very interesting and quite disturbing story for you. This story involves wrongful imprisonment, as mentioned in the intro, murder, abduction, and rape involving children. So, trigger warning for all of the above. This is a tough case. So let's get into it. Charles Ray Hatcher was born on July 16, 1929, in Mound City, Missouri, to parents Jesse and Lula Hatcher. He was the youngest of the couple's four children. Now, Hatcher's childhood was marked with strife. His father was an alcoholic and was abusive to his mother and to him and his siblings. Tragically, The unthinkable happened when Charles's oldest brother, Arthur Allen, was killed when a kite that the two of them had been flying using copper wire, wire that they had taken from a Model T Ford, struck a high voltage power line and electrocuted Arthur. After this, the family completely fell apart. Jesse and Lula divorced And over the next several years, Lula would remarry three more times. In 1945, Charles and Lula relocated to St. Joseph, Missouri with her third husband. At just 16, Charles Hatcher was about to begin a life of crime and would end up spending more than half of his life inside prison walls. In 1947, Charles Ray Hatcher was working for Iowa, Missouri Walnut Company. When only after being employed with the company for just two weeks, he decided to steal a logging truck. He was quickly caught and received a two-year suspended sentence. So he got a sentence, but he didn't spend any time inside for the crime. It was suspended, all of it. So... He never was inside for that crime. And I'm assuming that this was because he was only 16 or, well, he would have been, um, yeah, 16 at the time. Um, So anyway, I'm assuming that it was because he was young sorry, I suck at math, that he was young and that was his first offense. All right. 
Just one year later, he was convicted of auto theft when he once again stole a car, this time a 1937 Buick in St. Joseph, Missouri. He was sentenced to two years inside Missouri State Penitentiary. He was released in June of 1949 after serving about half of his sentence. This listener had to stop there for a second. I'm fighting a little bit of a cold and I was in the midst of just about having a coughing fit there. So I had to stop for a minute, but I'm okay. So we are back at it. So he steals this Buick and then he gets sentenced to two years inside Missouri State Penitentiary. He was released, like I said, only after serving about half. So in in 1949, just a couple months later, he was back in the slammer after he was caught forging a $10 check at a gas station. (laughs) What a dummy. On March 18th of 51, he escaped prison and attempted a burglary, but he was caught and sentenced to two additional years in prison. He was released in July of 1954, where he, when he got out, he promptly stole a car, (laughs) this time a 1951 Ford. He was once again caught He apparently hasn't realized that he sucks at stealing cars and getting away with it. You know, what the hell? He's obviously too dense to realize it, I suppose. So anyway, so while awaiting sentencing for this auto theft, he attempted again to escape. He was caught and he got two more years. So now he is sentenced to four years for stealing the Ford plus two, so he's facing six years in prison. He's released on March 18th of 1959. So now at age 30, he has spent more than half of his adult life behind bars. Has he learned his lesson? Oh, no, 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 of course not. In fact, curious listener, he ups the ante. He graduates to committing more serious crimes. Just a few months after his release, Hatcher attempted to kidnap a 16-year-old boy, threatening him with a butcher knife. Thankfully, the boy was able to get away and would later identify his attacker. Hatcher was pulled over by police while driving a stolen vehicle. and was charged, convicted, and sentenced to five years in Missouri State Penitentiary. This dumbass tried to escape again while he was waiting to be transferred to the state prison and was unsuccessful. On July 2nd of 1961, he committed his first murder. Yes, curious listener, whilst inside the Missouri State Penitentiary. Hatcher attacked an inmate named Jerry Farrington in the kitchen loading dock. He raped the man and then stabbed him to death. He was sent to solitary confinement for the attack. Unfortunately, he was never formally convicted of the rape and murder due to lack of evidence and he was placed back into Genpop, or the general prison population. 
Additionally, and inexplicably, his five-year sentence was actually reduced, and he was let out in August of 1964. Why? Obviously, he's violent. Obviously, he's not, you know, quote-unquote, being let out for good behavior, right? I, I, sh I said my quotes wrong, but I'm quoting good behavior because what the fuck is that anyway? I mean, of course, when you're locked up, you're being good if you think you're going to get out sooner. I mean, come on. Stupid. But anyway, don't get me started on that yet. So he was let out, like I said, August of 64. In August of 69 in San Francisco, California. So now he's gone from Missouri to California. A six-year-old boy named Gilbert Martinez was playing with a friend when a man came by and offered Gilbert ice cream if he came with him. Unfortunately, Gilbert went with the man who beat and sexually assaulted him. Luckily, though, a man out walking his dog happened upon Gilbert and the assailant, and he notified the police. The police quickly arrested the man. The man told police that his name was Albert Price. Though he had identification on him that bore the name Hobart Prater. Later, the FBI would identify this man as Charles Ray Hatcher. Fortunately, Gilbert Martinez survived this horrific attack. Now, from 64 when he was released to 69, that's five years. And I don't believe for a second that he wasn't out raping and probably murdering during those five years. He was probably just doing it under a different name because he started using a lot of different aliases after he got out. So Hatcher, or Price, because it hadn't been discovered quite yet who it was, was charged with assault, attempted forcible sodomy, and attempted kidnapping. The judge ordered that he undergo psychological evaluations after he was unresponsive during the competency evaluations. So the judge had ordered, and I think it's pretty standard for there to be a competency evaluation if there's any question of mental illness. So basically they're trying to decide if you are able to stand trial, which means are you able to aid in your own defense? That's what they're looking for. Can you understand the charges, the proceedings, and can you aid in your own defense? If the answer to those questions is yes, then you're competent. If not, no. Okay, so he goes through these competency evaluations, but doesn't really say anything. He's unresponsive, acts like he doesn't know what the fuck's going on. So he goes through psychological exams. During these exams, he claimed to hear voices, he feigned delusions, and even perpetrated fake suicide attempts while at the psychiatric hospital, obviously in hopes of avoiding trial and hence imprisonment. So in December of 1970, Hatcher continued to bounce back and forth between the state hospital and jail as physicians tried to discover the true nature of his mental illnesses, if indeed he had any. One psychiatrist diagnosed him as being passive aggressive with, with a passive aggressive personality, 
with paraphilia and pedophilia. Duh. <laughs> I mean, duh, right? I mean, hello, look at his background. That doesn't mean he's not competent, right? All right. So hospital staff noted that they believed that he was faking and or exaggerating his symptoms. Even so, one psychiatrist pronounced him insane and recommended intensive psychological treatment. And another psychiatrist agreed and declared that he was not competent to stand trial. Hatcher was sent back to the psych hospital for treatment. His trial for his crimes against Gilbert Martinez began on May 24th of 1971. He, of course, pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity, and he was sent to a different hospital to undergo, undergo more testing. He escaped from the hospital on June 2nd, 1971. Now, if he was indeed insane, if he was indeed unable to go through with a trial, why would he try to escape? You know? All right, so he was caught a week later, once again, with a stolen vehicle. This time, he was using the name Richard Grady. He was sent back to the California State Hospital, and the trial was postponed. In April of 1972, the doctors at California State Hospital declared that his treatment had been unsuccessful and that he was a danger to the other patients. Duh. <laughs> Again, I said, duh. The treatments were unsuccessful because he wasn't sick, not mentally ill, just a fucking dickhead, a killer, a pervert. Right? He didn't need psychological treatment. He did fucking locked up, right? So they sent him next to the prison state hospital in Vacaville, and I hope I'm saying that right, Vacaville, California. Four months after his arrival at the prison state hospital, he was transferred to San Quentin State Prison to finally stand trial for what he had done to Gilbert Martinez. He underwent two final psychological exams. These exams found him competent and indeed sane when he committed the crimes against Gilbert Martinez. He was found guilty and deemed a, quote, mentally disordered sex offender, end quote and was ordered to undergo treatment at the California State Hospital for an undetermined amount of time. So I bet the staff at California State Hospital was like, oh, fuck, we're getting this bastard back again, this, you know, animal back again. They tried to get rid of him, right? They said, hey, treatment's failed. We can't help him. You know, and they sent him to the prison state hospital. And now... They're sending him back when California State Hospital already said that treatment did not work on him. Why would you send him back to the hospital and not to fucking jail? Ugh. All right. So a little over a year later, he was discovered while trying to escape from the state hospital. Surprise, surprise. He was brought back before a judge 
the hospital staff maintained he's still a danger to the other patients and to society. And Hatcher was sentenced to one year to life. That's quite a big span there, isn't it? One year to life. At a medium security prison in Vacaville. Um, he's got a history of escape attempts and it, it was even successful a time or two. Why are they sending him to a medium security? Why not maximum? I don't know what is going on here with this California justice system, but it sucks. All right. In May of 1976, a psychologist declared him a, quote, manipulative, institutionalized sociopath, end quote. And to that I say, duh. <laughs> Again, I'm saying that word a lot today. That's, you know, probably dating me to the 1990s when we used to say that a lot. But anyway, um, yeah, yeah, he's manipulative. He's been able to manipulate the system this whole time, right? He's institutionalized. Yeah. He spent most of his life in prison or in a mental hospital. Sociopath seems pretty clear to me. He doesn't seem to have any remorse or regret for perpetrating crimes against children or for stealing cars or anything like that. All right. So in June of 76, a psychiatrist diagnosed him with paranoid schizophrenia and he remained at Vacaville. Just two years later, in August of 1975, at a parole review, guards at Vacaville noted his good behavior. And that was enough for the California Parole Board to decide that he had improved dramatically during his time at Vacaville, and he was given a release date of December in 1978. What the fuck? I mean, seriously. This guy's history of crime is, you know, an arm's length long and he's spending, they give him one year to life. And after two years, they're like, yeah, you know, I think maybe we're going to let him out. What? What? So, okay. So at 75, they say we're, we're going to let him out in 78. So we're going to make him spend three more years here. But then... Due to a new California law, new at the time, that allows offenders to be given credit for time spent in jails and mental hospitals, his parole date was bumped up to May 20th of 1977. And he was released on this date and sent to live in a halfway house. And in case you're not familiar, a halfway house is like exactly how it sounds. It's halfway between living on your own and living in a hospital or a prison. So um, ex-cons or people who are being released from, you know, inpatient medical states uh, and mental institutions will live in halfway houses where with other people where they'll be able to come and go, but we'll have curfews. They'll have to do chores. They'll have to get a job. They'll be supervised. They'll be able to get medical treatment. Um, so it's kind of like a way to prepare them to live on their own without just throwing them right back out to the system. All right. Well, for him, he, he didn't want to stay there. Right. So he found his way back to Missouri 
And I'm guessing probably by way of stealing vehicles, right? So on May 26th of 78 now, four-year-old Eric Christian was reported missing in St. Joseph, Missouri. Horrifyingly, Eric's body was found a short time later on a bank along the Missouri River. He had been sexually assaulted and suffocated to death. At the time, Hatcher was not on the police's radar. I mean, he hadn't been in Missouri for several years at this, you know, by this time. And he had been mostly inside either a, a hospital or jail. So he was not even in their purview, right? And so they weren't quite sure where to look. They interviewed over 100 individuals as potential suspects. And the only one that stuck out was a 25-year-old man with low intelligence named Melvin Reynolds. I bet you are wondering when Reynolds's part in the saga of Charles Ray Hatcher would come up. So he was a man who had been sexually abused himself as a child and was known to police to have been a homosexual or to have at least been involved in homosexual acts. Now, this is 1978. So homosexuality was still viewed in a lot of places as criminal. Okay. Ridiculous. Unbelievable that that was ever a thing. Yes, but it was. Okay. So Melvin Reynolds was, of course, upset about the crime, as was everyone else in St. Joseph, Missouri. But he did not have anything at all to do with this crime. And he had nothing to hide. He didn't do anything. And so he fully cooperated with police. Melvin Reynolds endured several interrogations. He agreed to take a polygraph te test and actually ended up taking two of them, which he passed. He even consented to, the, to be interviewed under hypnosis. He maintained his innocence throughout all of this. In December of 78, he was interrogated once again. This time, he was given sodium amytal, which is sometimes called truth serum. And although he did not admit to the crimes perpetrated against young Eric Christian, police remained suspicious of him. Let's face it, curious listener, they had tunnel vision. They wanted it to be him. They wanted this case to be solved. And so they did everything they could to pin it on this guy. Shameful. In February, so just a couple months later, in February of 1979, police brought Melvin in once again. This time, they subject, subjected him to more than 14 straight hours of harsh interrogation. They questioned him, asking him the same things over and over. They promised him leniency if he confessed. They even threatened him. Finally, an, exhaust, an exhausted Melvin Reynolds told interrogators, quote, I'll say so if you want me to, end quote. I feel for this poor guy. Don't you feel for this guy? First of all, he's of low, I know it sounds horrible to say of low intelligence, but 
uh, you know, not a high IQ. And so he probably doesn't even understand all these things that they're saying to him. And they've shown him disgusting, scary, I'm sure, photos and evidence and, you know, put these thoughts in his, his mind, accused him, cursed at him, threatened him. He just wanted it to end, right? He just wanted it to be over. Over the next couple weeks, Reynolds made confessions as to what had been done to Eric Christian. Most of the information was fed to him by police, some deliberately and some accidentally, so they say. Still, he was charged with the rape and murder of Eric Christian. He was convicted and sentenced to life in prison. life in prison for a murder, a heinous child murder and, and rape. So you can imagine how he was treated while he was in prison. Cause as we all know, child molesters, child murderers are the bottom of the totem pole in prison. And they usually end up getting treated very horribly by the other inmates beaten up, you know, all kinds of things. On July 29th of 79, the nude body of an 11 year old girl named Michelle Steele was discovered along the Missouri river near St. Joseph, Missouri. She had been sexually assaulted, savagely beaten and strangled. Hatcher was arrested the next day. While in custody, Hatcher confessed to 15 other child murders. He claimed that his first victim had been 12-year-old William Freeman in August of 1969 in California, the same month and year that he had molested and beat Gilbert Martinez in San Francisco. He confessed that he killed boy, young boys in Iowa, California, and Missouri. He even drew a map and led police to the body of one of his victims, a boy named James Churchill. This was near Davenport, Iowa. After all of this, he made another confession. He confessed to the rape, assault, and murder of Eric Christian. Michael Reynolds, or pardon me, Melvin Reynolds thank God, was released after this confession. And I hope to God he and his family sued the shit out of the state for putting him in jail and giving him that stigma, you know? All right. So Hatcher, Hatcher went to trial and was convicted of the rape and murder of Eric Christian. He was sentenced sentenced to life in prison without the possibility for parole for a minimum of 50 years. So next was the trial for the murder and assault of Michelle Steele. He was likewise convicted. Now with two murder convictions, this bastard asked the jury to sentence him to death. Death's the easy way out, right? 
the jury did not heed his request and they recommended the second life sentence. So even with the minimum of 50, he would have a second sentence to start serving. So he was never going to get out. Good. Throw away the fucking key. Well, coward that he is, Hatcher, not wanting to endure life behind bars, committed suicide in his prison cell on December 7th, 1983, just four days after the second life sentence was handed down. He hung himself with his bed sheets. Whew! That is the sordid tale of one of the country's most disgusting killers. And, you know, I'm sure that we still don't even know all of the murders and assaults that he perpetrated during those years. From the time he was, you know, 16, 18 to the time that he died. He was locked up a lot, but we could see, you know, the times when he wasn't, he, he went ahead and killed and, and raped and stole cars and whatever, you know, he was never going to be a productive member of society. Um, it's just really terrible. And, and it pisses me off because it seems like this could have been prevented. I think the murders, especially the murder of Christian, Eric Christian, the four-year-old could have been prevented because if California had kept him in jail instead of letting him out for quote unquote good behavior or kept him in the state state hospital, even, um, that little boy would still be alive. So this is another example, I believe in my opinion, in which our justice system failed us. The purpose of the justice system is supposed to be to protect the citizens, right? To protect us. And it, you know, it seems so often to me in, in doing all the research on these cases that it oftentimes protects the perpetrator. And it's just a sad state of affairs. It really, really is. All right. So that is going to be it for today. As long or as long, I don't know what I'm thinking. Um, as always, <laughs> you can find photos on the Instagram page at corn fed killer podcast shoot me an email at cornfedkillerpodcast at gmail.com. Stay tuned for some Patreon information, probably in the next episode or the one after. Um, so that's exciting. I'm working on some things for that. And until next time, curious listener, bye.